Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made, and said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and, also, and gave also under her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And I'll stop there and pray. Father, as we look at your word, I ask, Lord, that you would um, just guide our hearts, um, guide my heart, my thoughts. Uh, pray, Lord, that you would use what is said this morning for your glory, um, that your word would be fruitful this morning in our hearts, um, that we would be drawn to you, um, that the topic of, of sin would prick our hearts, Lord, and that we would deal with the, the sin that is in our own lives. So, Lord, help us this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, we read these same verses, and I talked about the issue that comes up here between this conversation between Eve and the serpent, which is Satan, and the issue of hath God said, what has God said, is, is the word of God trustworthy? And we went through some different things in that and looking at the way that people in the Bible treated the Bible, the way that Jesus himself treated the Old Testament scriptures and he always just pointed to it and said, what does it say? Or he would read it and declare what it said and proclaim things based on the exact words that he read from the page that he was reading from. Just trusted it. And it was just assumed to be correct and right. And that's the way that we're to approach the Bible when we read it, is that it is a trustworthy book that I don't have to question what has God said, that I can come here and I read it and I just believe the words. Um, and I have to sometimes adjust my thinking to match what it says. And so just encourage us to, to do that as we find things in here that we don't understand or that we don't currently agree with. Well, we need to, to work to understand what it says and then we need to sometimes adjust our thinking to match what it says. That can, be, that can be a challenge. But there's a second part here. It's the actual committing of the sin. <laughs> and this is a difficult thing for us to acknowledge our sin, right? We don't like to think too hard about 
the things that we ought not to be doing that we know we are doing. Um, talked about this a little bit at the men's breakfast yesterday. We looked at some, some scripture on that. And we looked at Romans chapter 7 and the, the way that Paul addresses his own life. And he's describing, says, the things that I should be doing, I'm not doing them. <laughs> and the things that I know I shouldn't be doing, that's the stuff I find myself doing. <laughs> and I hate it. But he acknowledges that. And in the end of it, he comes to the conclusion, oh, wretched man that I am. This is like, this is the guy that's writing the Bible for us. <laughs> and in another spot, he says, he calls himself, present tense, I am the chief of sinners. Present tense, I am. In his mind, there was no one worse. Do you think of yourself that way? Or do we always look at other people as a worse sinner than I am? I think we have that tendency. I don't know if I found the verse that I was looking for. Um, so I guess I'll just talk about it instead of going to it. <laughs> I, I've, been, I've been thinking about it this week, and I know in Psalm, Psalm 51... David is dealing with something here, but it's not exactly what, I, what I'm thinking of. David, David writes, to, and he, he, in his prayer to God, he says, try my heart, whether there be any wicked thing in me. Do you ever go to God and ask him, to search your heart. There's a, there's a song. Jen can come and sing the song. <laughs> it talks about there's a secret room in my heart, right? And we keep that door closed. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to look at it. And we certainly don't want to talk to God about it. <laughs> it's the, that secret sin that, that's in our hearts and our minds. And there's problems in our lives. There's things that we need to deal with. And yet, our tendency is to try to ignore those things, try not to think about it, try not to deal with that, because I don't want to face that thing. We need to face that thing, guys. We need to open that door and let God in there. Let him pull some of the skeletons out of our closets and hold them up in front of our face. Like, deal with this. We need to deal with these things. Even the, the verse that David read this morning, I'll turn back there, just James chapter 1. last or second last verse verse 26 said if any man among you seem to be religious well we're all sitting in church this morning so we seem to be religious right 
says, but he bridleth not his tongue. He deceiveth his own heart, and his religion is vain. How's your tongue? (laughs) How is what's coming out of your mouth glorifying God today? Maybe today it is, but was it yesterday? (laughs) How about the day before? When you go to work tomorrow morning and bash your knuckles on something? (laughs) Are you glorifying God with what comes out of your mouth? I know we don't all bash our knuckles on things when we go to work, but I used to do that lots. (laughs) There was rarely a day where I didn't have a, a busted knuckle when I was working as a mechanic, so. But sometimes we need to bridle our tongue. We need to you know what a bridle is, right? Anybody ride a horse? You stick the thing in the horse's mouth and you control this 1,200-pound animal with two little strings on it because it's pulling on its mouth. You can control that thing with the bridle and that's what God's telling us. We need to, we need to learn to control our mouth which will in turn affect our entire life, the direction that we're going in life, if we can just control that thing. But how are we doing there? Are you bridling your tongue? Or are you deceiving your own heart with your religion? Do you just claim, you just like looking like a Christian, or are you truly believing that message? Is it changing your life? It should be changing our lives. If we look back at Genesis 3 again, look at the process that goes on here. If we actually go back to to chapter 2 and just look at the instruction that God gave, and then we'll look at the the conversation, we'll go from there. Chapter 2, verse 15 says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. One rule. (laughs) There's a tree in the middle of the garden. He even tells you, what the effect of that tree is. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know what? The serpent didn't lie. When he had that conversation with Eve, well, he did lie, but not about that part. He says, you'll, you'll know good and evil. It's true. <laughs> but up until that point, they wouldn't. They had no conscious of, consciousness of sin outside of obeying that one command. But look what Eve does. So in verse 4 of chapter 3, it says, The serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Verse 6 says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, You know what that indicates? They had never gone near that tree up until that point. (laughs) 
Because it says when she saw that it was good for food. I don't know how big the garden was. But God says, don't, don't eat that tree over there. And they had no issue with that. They didn't go near it. They didn't go looking at it, wondering what it looks like and what it would taste like. But now the serpent, Satan, comes to Eve and starts talking about this tree and how good it is. And the result isn't going to be bad. It'll be good. You're going to be like God's. And so Eve gets curious about this tree. And so she goes and she starts to look at the tree. And she's looking at the color of the fruit and maybe she touches it. Oh, it's soft. (laughs) I think it's ripe. It looks yummy. Maybe she cut it open to see what the inside looks like and mm, looks good. Smells it. Mmm, smells sweet. She's Verse 6 again, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She starts playing with the forbidden thing. She starts looking at it, thinking about it, and now it's consuming her mind. And within that one verse, she starts to look at it and now, and then she says, she took of the fruit and did eat. Don't play with the sin. (laughs) Don't, Don't think that you can control every situation, that you can handle the temptation. The Bible says that God will not let you to be tempted above that which you're able, but will with the temptation provide a means of escape. But if you're sitting there (laughs) standing on the fence, well, you're not giving yourself a like, your, your chance to escape was a long time ago at that point, right? When you're staring at the thing that you're tempted, when you're always walking the line right against the sin, getting as close as you can, it's too much for us. We can't handle it. So the first thing is, one, don't, don't be playing next to the sin. Whatever that temptation is in your life, whatever the issue that's in your heart, that if you were to pray and God's going to reveal that thing that he wants you to deal with, don't keep playing with it. Don't stare at the thing and allow it to be a constant temptation. Get it as far from you as you can but the next thing that happened he wasn't satisfied yet she sinned she got tempted she's staring at the tree and she's checking out the fruit and she likes what it looks like and she wants to try it and so she does but the verse kept going 
says, and she did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. She wasn't by herself. She took a friend, the only friend she had, but <laughs> she didn't go by herself. She, she may have initially. She has this conversation with the serpent, and he points her, it's like, you know this thing over there? It's better than you think. It'll be fun. The Bible says, talks about the pleasures of sin for a season. Sin is tempting because it, it's pleasing to our flesh in some way or another. It satisfies in some little way, some desire that we have in us that's supposed to be filled by our relationship with God. Or that's supposed to be filled with our relationship with our spouse or with our family or in our work. God gave us lots of instruction on how to live not to restrict us and stop all fun <laughs> and stop all pleasure. He's like, I'm going to give you the parameters where you can enjoy the thing to the fullest and get satisfaction. But if you try to fill that thing outside of those parameters, there's a pleasure for a season, for a short period of time. But it's never satisfying. It's never enough. And with Eve, it's not enough to do it by yourself. You want to drag somebody there with you. Remember as a, as a kid, some, there was always I grew up in a Christian home. I wasn't exposed to worldly things very much. We were pretty protected, but I went to public school. And you get shown some things by some of the other kids that you ought to never see. The kid wasn't satisfied to be in that sin by themselves, right? They need to drag somebody down with them. And they present it to you. Don't. First of all, we need to get away from that thing ourselves. But certainly don't bring somebody else into it. You got a problem with somebody? Especially in the church? Don't start gossiping and telling everybody else of what a horrible person that is and the things that they've done. Trying to get somebody else to feel towards that person the same way that you feel toward that person. Right? We do that. We want somebody with us in our sin. And we drag others into the things that, that we're doing that we ought not to be doing. And we certainly ought not to be dragging somebody else into it. So it looks like Eve went checking out this tree. She's looking at it. She comes to the conclusion, I want to try this. And she brings Adam along, shows him, says, we, should, we need to try this. 
And so she takes the bite and then she hands it to him. And he he eats as well. He did eat. It says then the eyes of them both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. Their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. Did they not realize they weren't wearing anything up until that point? The whole point of this is that they became aware that it's a problem that they're naked. There's an awareness and a shame now for this nakedness. It's like if you have little kids, when you have kids, no baby has no clue or care that it's naked. My, I remember with my own kids this being, we, we, we took care to dress our, our children, I guess, is the, is the thing. As the parents, we knew that our kids shouldn't be running around in public naked. But I remember as a teenager, my mom would babysit uh, this little kid, and we went to his one-year birthday party. And this kid, uh, one years old, is running around the house completely naked. <laughs> Not a care in the world. He's at a point where he's not aware that this is an issue. There's no shame. He's innocent. Adam and Eve were innocent up until that point in that their consciousness of these kinds of things was non-existent until they ate of the fruit. That they did the thing They did the thing that they knew they shouldn't do. And all of a sudden, it opened up their conscience of things, other things that they now realize are issues. Um, Look at Romans 7 for a second. seven and starting in verse six says but now we are delivered from the law that being dead wherein we were held that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter what shall we say then is the law sin god forbid nay i had not known sin but by the law For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. Without the law, sin was dead. It was the law being given that made people aware 
of their sin. And this is exactly what brings us to our knowledge of our need of salvation. The whole point of the law wasn't to tell us how we can achieve salvation by doing things or by not doing things. The point of the law is just to show that you and I are breaking it. (laughs) You're doing things that you shouldn't be doing and you're not doing the things that you should be doing. The whole point of the law is just to reveal to us that we are sinful. That verse 8 is, but sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. Sin, just like wrong. The, the law telling me not to do something that I am already doing, it's like, oh, I guess now I'm aware that it's a problem, right? That's kind of where Adam and Eve were, but look at verse 9. Paul kept going here. He says, For I was alive without the law once. I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. That one-year-old running around the house completely naked, not a clue that there's anything wrong with that. No shame whatsoever, no thought of his nakedness. This, Paul's like, I was alive without the law. This child is alive, not having a clue of the need to cover himself up, right? Not having a clue between what's right and what's wrong in life. He didn't know the law. So he was alive without the law. He's innocent. But Paul says, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Remember the commandment in Genesis chapter 2, the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. It was, when when there's innocence, There's no law. There's no knowledge of the law. You can't, you're not guilty. God doesn't hold you guilty at that point. But as soon as you're aware of the rule, of the law, of the issue of the sin, now you become accountable for that thing. And he says, sin revived and I died. He died because once he realized the things that he was doing were sin. It appears, and it's not a direct statement in Scripture, but from looking at this, um, there's a couple of verses in Isaiah that say some similar things. It appears that there's a point in life, and we call it um, the age of accountability. Is There's a period in a, a young child's life 
where they're not accountable to the law. And so they're not accountable for their sin. In that, if they were to die in that state, God will have mercy and take that child to heaven, essentially. Because there's, there's no accountability for the, at that point in life when they're still innocent and not aware of the existence of sin, right? But there comes a point where we become accountable when we understand the difference between right and wrong. It's no longer the case. If you go over to Romans chapter 2, here's the, the question that comes up. Is what about those in a tribe in the middle of nowhere and they've never heard the gospel? Well, how, how is God just to send those people to hell? I think we can answer it here. Romans chapter 2. Read in, in verse 14. It says, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, as in, you realize that God gave the, the commandments, the written law, the word of God, like all this instruction was given to Israel, just a small nation, and there's all these other people in the world that have no access to that written law of God. So it says, for the, when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. They're a law unto themselves. They know the difference between right and wrong. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness. And their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or excusing one another. It says their law was written in their hearts. You know the difference between right and wrong. You know what you should and shouldn't be doing in a general sense. Maybe not the specifics of the written word. But every lost person in every lost tribe of the world knows the difference between right and wrong. Are they guilty of breaking that law? Yes. Every one of them is guilty of doing the things that their conscience, their heart, knows not to do. And they do it. They've broken the law that God has written in their hearts. God is just to judge. Those that... It's, it's an amazing thing you hear some of the missionary stories of a missionary showing up in some remote part of the world and some guy is literally sitting in some tribe in the middle of nowhere waiting for you to show up with this message of Jesus on the cross paying for their sin. And they receive it instantly. And I've heard the statements like, I knew it would be something like that. <laughs> if they're doing what God wants, if, if their heart is to obey that law and to know who that God is that put that in their heart, I believe God will reveal 
to them and maybe send you to go and find that person and give them that message of the gospel. If that person is willing to res- will respond to that gospel, I guarantee God will put somebody in their path that, to give them that message. So just because a person hasn't heard doesn't mean God's not just. God knows their heart. They've already rejected him. So God is not unjust to judge that person. given so that people would know about their sin. We read again in Genesis 3, they were only given one thing not to do, and they went and did that one thing. And then their eyes are opened, and they knew they were naked. God revealed the stuff, the rest of the things in their hearts. He gave them a conscience. Maybe we should have read a little bit further, but as we continue reading here, it says, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So now Eve is wearing a bikini. <laughs> but you know what happens later on? God kills an animal. He says he made coats of skins. They made aprons, God made a coat. It's like, you didn't go far enough. You didn't cover up quite enough. And here's something proper to wear. But that's not the main issue. You know what happened to give them those clothes? Something had to die. An animal gave its life to cover their sin. Their nakedness. All of the law shows us it's like sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. It's animals dying and their blood being poured out in place of the person who committed the sin. And that's exactly the Passover was a picture of that and then it came to Christ. All of it was to show us what Christ would have to do to cover our sin, to cover our nakedness before God. It's his blood shed for us. Can't. We can't clean ourselves up. We can't wash ourselves. We can't stop sinning enough to ever satisfy God. It says, if we keep all the law but what break in one point, we're guilty of the whole thing. We're all guilty. 
We need his blood to cover us. Um, we were talking about getting, <laughs> getting a pig to, to butcher. And I just mentioned, as far as food goes, when you're, when you're killing an animal for your food, it's a good thing to butcher your own animals that you're going to eat. To realize this living creature is what's feeding me. And it has to give its life in order for me to live. Now, I didn't think a pig was quite the right picture of that being. <laughs> but, but overall, it is that picture. And that's what all the sacrifices were for. You know what they did with the sacrifices? Most of them were eaten <laughs> by the people that were offering them. It's just, in order for me to live, something has to give its life. For me to live spiritually, Christ had to give his life. We need to put our complete faith in that as the payment for our sin. And so we, we need to let that change us. We're supposed to, it says, you become a new creature, like a new creation. We're a we're to be changed and then start living for him, not just living in our sin, pleased that we don't have to face the punishment for it. It's not just a ticket out of hell. This is a ticket into God's presence. Anyway, let's, let's pray.